In this episode, we venture into the cyberpunk era when I have a chat with the writer and creator of the Rubble and Ruins game, and I talk about podcast length and the future. Welcome to the Mithras Matters podcast, season one, episode 28, Mutated Rats and Cyberpunk Scenarios. Welcome to Mithras Matters, a podcast dedicated to the Mithras rule set and all its supplements. As always, I am your host, Inwills, and welcome to September. Now, I've noticed recently that the overall length of the podcast is getting longer and longer. This is mainly due to the fantastic people who are agreeing to come and have a chat with me. I feel that these chats provide so much insight and content that I never want to delete any of the discussion. I have in some cases split the chat over two episodes, and although this makes life easier for me, less work to do for the next month's episode, I do realise that it might put some listeners off. I guess if you're not interested in part one of the discussion, then you might not come back for part two. If you look at the data relating to effective podcasts, it says that the optimal length is between 30 and 40 minutes. Well, I've never been one to fit into the optimal or even normal range of things, so I'm going to maintain some variation. However, in order to reduce the overall length, I'm going to be a little bit more selective about the content I personally provide for the episode. Rather than talking about me and my gaming group in every episode, I'll keep these discussions for when I don't have anyone to chat to for the episode. Bet you're all looking forward to those now, aren't you? I'm going to call it me and my group. Definitely not one to be missed. Do, however, remember that if you would like to contribute to the podcast, then why not just drop me an email or message me on the various forums I frequent. Segments can be short or you can have a longer chat with me. I'm always looking for reviews, opinions or interviews with people. So if you are interested, then chat to me on the forums or send me an email to inwills at gmail.com. One setting that I've always wanted to explore further is the cyberpunk era. I used to run a Shadowrun 5th edition campaign every Tuesday evening, but the players sadly drifted away and it stopped. With Shadowrun 6th edition not getting a very good review at all, I'd put my search for a cyberpunk setting to one side for the time being. However, not so long ago, I received an email about a cyberpunk setting which was based on the Mithras imperative rules and published through the Mithras gateway. 
as you can imagine, I immediately grabbed the person, not literally, you understand, who created the setting and got them booked in for a chat. So, keen to find out about Rubble and Ruin, I synced my calendars with Rich and arranged to have a chat. Over to you, Rich. Hello, my name is Rich LeDuc, and I am the author of Rubble and Ruin, which is a new Mithras Gateway uh, uh, setting, a book. Fantastic. Complete complete book. And um, in my day job, I'm a research scientist at a major Midwestern university. I work in translational medicine and bioinformatics, particularly in proteomics. And I'm very excited to have this opportunity to talk with you today and to tell you about what I've done with Rubble and Ruin, which is kind of a, uh, a passion project. It's something that um, I was motivated to do. I've, I have a rather unique um, setting that I have been running now for about 40 years. Fantastic. Uh, and over time, I've, um, I've developed this thing and it is very interesting uh, you know it's interesting to me i'm fascinated by it Mm -hmm. um and many people who play it really like it and so um what i'd like to do today is just talk about rubble and ruin yeah and i I must admit i've had a sneak preview of it and i i was very excited to have this chat with you today because i I think it's a, a very unique setting and some some fantastic um new rules or new aspects in there so what what's your experience with role-playing games and mithras tell us a bit about that well uh i started gaming in the mid 1970s and i grew up in northern california um, about 300 miles 400 plus kilometers north of the bay area Mm. and if you know chaosium chaosium of course gave us rune quest and uh, they were out of Alameda, out of the Bay Area. And so yeah. my, I, I grabbed it as a crop prop. I'm going to show it to uh, you and Willis, but the listeners will just have to trust me. This is my original rune quest. Wow. Staple bound. So <laughs> this has to, the, the cover is long gone, but um, it's before they started binding these things. Yeah. And I bought it at a shop when I was a kid. And all my buddies and I played RuneQuest from not exactly day one. We were in what they now call OD&D. We called it Dungeons and Dragons back in yeah. the day, but the brown box. Yeah. Um, and so I've been playing uh, RuneQuest rules and what is now Mithras rules for, yeah. from, for a very, very long time. And the other thing I did in the early 1980s Uh, I was, you know, a science nerd kid and was interested in science and I played Aftermath. And Aftermath was this very open post-apocalyptic role-playing game where you could, where each individual GM could create their own post-apocalyptic world and their own vision. And I had this one that kind of developed side by side as the rest of the world was developing what we now call canon fantasy or what Rob calls classic fantasy that yeah. 
world of elves and dwarves and whatnot. And I had that same vibe, but in a post-apocalyptic setting. And so you have a group of adventurers who meet and they go into the, the holes in the ground in the rubble. And instead of using uh, magic, they would use science and technology, yeah. but you had the same style of play. Um, and so over time, I kind of got Aftermath is a very complex game. And I got out of that and into, uh, we called it RuneQuest, but it's now more properly known as basic role-playing. Yeah. Um, and so I developed this rubble and ruin uh, world and concept and, and system. And about 10 years ago, maybe a little more now, I did a monograph with uh, Chaosium under their monograph system of rubble and ruin. And recently I've got a lot, I've done a lot of work, very, you know, a lot of improvements on yeah. that original monograph. And so I've uh, put it together and put it out on, on drive through as uh, got the under the gateway license yeah. for uh, Mithras, which is a one, I, I stumbled into Mithras backward, backwards. It's like, well, these guys are doing things the way I like it rather than in BRP. Exactly. Who are yeah. these people? Oh, Mithras. I like yeah. the Mithras form. And yeah. that's how I became a Mithras guy. And, and I really, I, I often say it on this podcast, I really like that aspect of Mithras, that there's this core set of rules that can be adapted so easily for a wealth of settings. I Obviously, playing Aftermath, have you always been interested in this post-apocalyptic setting? Has that always been a passion? Yes, I would say it has, um, both literature and uh and role-playing games, but I'm not, there's, there's a lot of variation in the post-apocalyptic mm. genre. And so a lot of people are um, very interested in the minute details of firearms. I will put it. Yeah. That, <laughs> that is not me. <laughs> yeah. And there are people that are very interested in the minute details of wilderness survival and things mm. like that's not me. I've always been more interested in, telling fantasy stories without magic. Right. And so what I do is I, I run the world forward into a cyberpunk kind of world. So yeah. imagine somewhere in the future in the canon rubble and ruin right now, it's in 2065. Um, and we've got sort of a cyberpunk culture with cyborgs and a lot of genetic engineering. Nice. And then I postulate some global wars and stuff to get me to a place where we're 20 years after that. Yeah. And it's, I, I have a little warning on the back of the book that it, it is a very um, contrived future history to get us to the place that allows us to have a fantasy setting yeah. without with using science and technology. And, and I think that's really good because I think sometimes, I mean, I'm a great law lover and I love law, but I, sometimes I don't really want it to be completely and perfectly defined because I want to be able to adapt 
respect it and sort of like change things as I go along. So Rubble and Ruin, it's just to be clear, it's a standalone system, isn't it? Yes. Yes, it is. So under the Mithras gateway, just for people who don't follow the details, there's a there's the Mithras imperative rules. And if yeah. you get the blessing from design mechanism, you can take those rules, incorporate them into your setting. And so anyone who plays Mithras will have absolutely no problem understanding, in my humble opinion, um, yeah. have no problem understanding the, the rules. But it is not um, a lot of the great details in Mithras are not in the Mithras imperative. So like everybody yes. gets two action points. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's now if you were playing your rubble and ruin game and you took and used dexterity to find the number of action points, I don't think that the design mechanism police would knock on your door, um, yeah. but it's not in the rules that, yeah. I have included now. and and it's it's interesting because M space has that that same, act, same number of actions. You, you everybody just gets two actions, and it's really interesting the the contrast of my players from Mithras to M space because some of them are are used to having three, you mm -hmm. know, and they're sort of like thinking, oh, I can't do anything else now. But the the people like Mister Pickles who plays Bartleby only ever has. And he's sort of like, well, now you know what it feels like, guys. <laughs> you know, this is <laughs> welcome this to is, my world. Yeah, exactly. This is the other side of the coin. So it obviously has a very strong cyberpunk influence and feel about it. How much um, technology and sci fi is actually in it? As much as I could cram. <laughs> so what I did. I, so first of all, I want to say I love Mithras and I love uh, spellcasters in Mithras. Yeah. And I love, I mean, you know, I've been playing all the various flavors of the D100 system forever. And I really like the idea that you've got two skills. One of them determines how much you can do. And one of them determines what you can, uh, how how well you, well can, you do can do it. it. Yeah. And so when I have, uh, for example, I, I say I've got, uh, instead of wizards, sages, and healers, we have engineers, scientists, and physicians. Yeah. And each of these are structured like similar by analogy, similar to the Mithras spellcasters. Right. And so an engineer, for example, has, design and build as two separate skills. Yeah. And the higher your design, the more specialties you have, the more things you can design. So nice. for example, you might take, if you were running an engineer, you might take mechanical engineering, electrical engineering, and computer engineering. Whereas oh, somebody see. else yeah. might take structural engineering, mechanical engineering, and something else. Yeah. Um, and then the build skill is how good you are at actually building the things you know how to do. So it's similar to evocation yeah. is how good you are at casting those spells that you know. Uh, but the other skill is controlling how much, uh, how many spells, you know, so yeah. it's that same model. 
And, 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 and that's really good. I, I really like that aspect of it. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing I did is technology becomes a standard skill. And right. it is the analogous, it is analogous to folk magic. Got so you. in Mithras, folk magic, uh, you know, anybody who knows folk magic, every 10% you have in folk magic, you get one of these neat little spells. Yeah. And they're great. And I love them. <laughs> and, yeah. and I want to play more Mithras and I want to play folk magic, folk <laughs> wizards. Um, but so in Rubble and Ruin, because it's a standard skill, everyone knows a little bit of technology. Oh, yeah. Uh, because it's standard skill. It's uh, two attributes added together. You're going to have, you know, on average, well, 20 to 30% yeah. in it, which means you're going to have two to three specialties. Even if you're not a, uh, a technology-focused character, Go, oh, yeah. I'm a big fighter. I use guns and stuff. Well, but I still have armory, hand-loading, and nice. uh, yeah. gunsmith as my three basic technologies I know how to do. Um, so. that, that, that's really good. I, I really like that. And it's, it's interesting in our Mithras campaign, we do have folk magic, but it's tailored to the casters. So um, theists are there like minor prayers and sorcerers, they're like cantrips, you know. So I, I really like that crossover and how you've linked it together, you know, to almost like match. Well, it, it matches the magic system really yeah. well. You know? Yeah. And it, it, yeah. And the idea is hopefully somebody who plays Mithras can sit down with Rubble and Ruin and say, oh, I, I get this. Yeah. But but now I'm going to be focusing on science and technology uh, rather than on magic. Yeah. Um, which I think there's merit to occasionally playing games that are based on real things. Yeah, very much so. And I, I really like that aspect that it's a standard skill, so all characters have it. Yeah. So you're not sort of like ever having to role play that you don't know anything you know it's a standard skill you have it which really reflects the world in which yeah. the characters are developing well what about one of the things that you pop down in the uh, in the interview notes the chat notes what's about genetic possibilities and you mentioned <laughs> transhumans uplifts and tags tell me more about that okay so um in my day job I work a lot with uh, uh, translational medicine, genomics, proteomics. Actually, my specialty is proteomics, but I I'm used to manage a national scale genomics yeah. facility. Um, and so I've thought about this. And, I, and one of the things, so cyberpunk is a great uh, aesthetic. It's a great thing. You know, it's fun. Great, great way to play still stories, but it's kind of locked in the science of the 1980s. Mm. And, you know, we're in 2020s now and the human genome project is behind us and we're moving forward and people aren't, I, I don't think there's enough uh, conversation going on about the things that we'll be able to do in the near future yeah. to, uh, to living systems. We're already doing it. You know, the, the COVID the Moderna, these RNA vaccines yeah. are just like, when I was first reading about it, I'm like, 
oh, they got that into practice. That's awesome. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. And, and so uh, in Rubble and Ruin, I've always had these different, uh, I'm calling them biotypes because I'm too much of an academic to call them races or species yeah. because <laughs> they're not. Um, yes. And, and I, I'm too much of a, a word guy. I can't get, a, I can't bring myself to, so I had to make up a term because robots are obviously not a species. So yes. they're robot player characters. I am getting to your answer, but I also an actor so getting the long way around. Um, and wild type humans are clearly a species. Yeah. Uh, but then one thing that others have talked about long before me are uplifts, which is the idea that you take an animal and you modify uh, the gen you you modify the gen genome of the animal such that it expresses something more close to a human. Oh, and yeah. so, uh, in my in Rubble and Ruin, I have two canonical uplifts. Um, I have dogs for these barkers, uh, which are very much like a certain sci-fi role-playing game recently republished by Mongoose. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Varger. Uh, yeah. And, um, and then I have the Emble rats, which are actually uh, very similar to a, uh, an encounterable group or species from Aftermath, which yeah. are these three foot tall. They're kind of like hobbits with mechanical fetish. Uh, <laughs> so they're really <laughs> nice. good with machines. Yeah. And in my case, they're both, they're not uh they're not to be thought of as random mutations so one of the things about the word mutant is we tend to think of a mutant many people in science fiction think of mutants as random mutants yeah my world is full of mutants and none of them are random they are all engineered mutants and so oh, yeah Emble rats were engineered during the global wars to meet certain needs. Uh, so they are an uplift. Transhumans, in my usage, is where you take human genetic material and you improve it. So you, right. but improve has to be air quoted. So anybody yeah. listening, put some air quotes around improve. Improve is whoever's doing the engineering makes it how they think it would be better how they think this individual would be better. So yeah. obvious examples, you know, people are working on in real world is uh, knocking out del deleterious genes that are causing uh, yeah. genetic disorders or adding genes. That, but you can imagine in a sort of a Gattaca type, if you saw the movie mm -hmm. Gattaca, this idea of making better people, um, better again, air quoted. And then the last one is some something of my own invention and the tags. And I haven't heard anybody talk about this before, and I'm not sure why, but maybe it's just too weird and I'm the only guy who would think that. <laughs> but it's, I, uh, tags are uh, transgenic anthropomorphic genomes is what, it's just a word that I is made called up. Tags. <laughs> yeah, T-A-G, right? Tags. <laughs> But the idea is, let's say you took a mouse. Now, a mouse has no human rights yeah. in our world. It's a mouse. I can set a trap of, and kill a mouse in my garage. I don't. I live trap them. Yeah. Good. <laughs> but, good. <laughs> but, but I could. Yeah. Um, 
And let's say you took a mouse and you modified, the mouse shares a high degree of genetic similarity with humans. Bananas share a 55% genetic similarity. Wow. Um, <laughs> so, so, you know, you take something simple like a mouse and you modify uh, the, in the embryo or in the, the egg, uh, you modify every gene that is unique to mouse, you knock it out, you take it away. And every gene that is uh, homologous to a human, but a little bit different through all these silent mutations and things. Yeah. I could go into a genetics lesson, but I won't. You leave it there. And oh, for yeah. every gene that is unique to human, but not in mouse, you make a copy that is in no way using the redundancy of the human genetic code, you make a copy that is in no way related to human and you right. put it in there. And then you have to understand gene expression well enough to control that. There's probably some histone code issues that we could talk about. Um, but, you know, we won't because yeah. <laughs> yeah. matters and not speculative genetics. Um, <clears throat> but you, you do all this and you express this and you grow this organism up. Well, what it's going to do, it's going to develop as a human. Because right. you have made something that is genetically human, but it has no background to human. Right. It's mouse and synthetic. Yeah. So what is that organism? And so um, because uh, Rubble and Ruin postulates a very unpleasant future um, yep. where things are not uh, as well as they, we, we hope they will be in our world, you could imagine people making these things and then it's yeah. like, well, it's a mouse. It has all the rights of a mouse, yeah. that individual. And so uh, these become, uh, well, of course, in Rubble and Ruin, it's 20 years after the fall of civilization. So they're all yeah. free uh, and fending for themselves. But those are the three broad categories of uh, genetically altered organisms and then to tie it in back to gaming rich stop talking about genetics talk about <laughs> um so to tie it back into gaming uh another thing that i like that i have done in rubble and ruin that others may want to just grab is because there's no magic i use power to govern how many neat things your character starts with and so yeah. these mutants can start with mutant powers. I have these enhancement lists. And, and so tags can buy, you know, uh, night, night vision and, yes. uh, and, you know, various other enhancements. Whereas wild type normal people would buy with their enhancements, increased skills or, or yeah. increased starting gear. Um, and then robots get, and, or cyborgs are the best example, then cyborgs get more, you know, mechanical arms and mechanical head, you know, eyes and stuff. Exactly. And, and I really like that aspect of that, this, because a lot of the time we see power as something like a very, a, a very humanistic quality, you know, and, but I really like this idea that, you know, the cyborgs can have this high power, and so they have these cybernetics, which are these enhancements that are actually reflects that really well. And, and I think there's flaws as well. Did I see something? I, in yes, the yes, there are, because I'm just a sucker for those. Um, yeah, I, I have a, a strong background in GURPS and uh, post-apocalyptic games 
you need flawed characters. Oh, I totally it, agree. Yeah. It just, you know, it adds so much flavor. And so, but, but you want to control it. And so what yeah. I do is I allow, uh, so enhancements, a character with an awful lot of enhancements might have eight points of enhancements. Yeah. Um, most characters might have uh, three or four enhanced points of enhancements and enhancements can be one or two points and flaws you can either take zero flaws i don't have any you could take a one point flaw or a two point flaw and those give you that many more points for your enhancements yeah um so it's it's nice it gives you some care it helps flesh out the character helps give you you know some uniqueness but at the same time it's not overpowering yeah and i i i'm a great believer of i if I ever get to play, which is very rare, um, I love that aspect of characters, not the fact that I have a weakness or a flaw, it's the fact that I have to role play and manage that, you know, so it's, I I have to be aware of it when I'm actually role playing um, to make sure that I'm sometimes maybe one step ahead of the GM and started to say, but hang on a minute, you know, or role play out rather than it just becoming a, a throwaway, yeah. you know, it's, yeah. it, it, I, I think it has to have substance and contribute to the role playing and to the game and to the setting rather than just being something, you know, I dislike tomatoes, you know, yeah. so, you know, that never has a, an impact, but I gain an extra point, yeah. so, you know, so, so that's really, I really like the world. Well, one thing that um, I, I was a, a great um, Shadowrun fan and still am, but what, what about things like computers and vehicles? Is that all in rubble and ruin as well or not? Well, let's, let's, I'm going to go back to my air quotes. All. Yeah. So I have, um, so there, there for computers, I'm very comfortable with how I have, with the rules I have. Um, they work very well for, uh, small, you know, a post-apocalyptic setting, small computer setups. I used to manage a national scale uh, compute cluster and yeah. that probably would break down in my rules. So it's not like, oh, we'll use the yeah. system over there. But for, you know, post-apocalyptic setting, the computers are pretty well handled. Vehicles, I have uh, rules for building vehicles, but you're going to have to pull, if you want to do a lot of, you know, Mad Max high-speed chases, um, you're going to want to pull those mechanics from some other Mithras product. Yeah, um, I think Mithras yeah. Companion actually yeah. has That's, them in. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm I'm being a coy here because, of course, I'm not licensed to. Yeah, I I either say to, anything, to, <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, so um, I didn't. Uh, I did. I, I've. We've got all the mechanics for building cars. Most of the the base you know, style of play yeah. that I run, people will build a pickup truck and use it to haul loot from the place of adventure to their, to where they live, yeah. you know, that sort of thing. So yes. we're not, you know, and then um, I did introduce a couple of individual aircraft. So um, 
uh, little, if you watch YouTube, people are starting to build these things and they're awesome. They're building yeah. uh, little uh, like drones, like octocopters that you can sit on. Yeah, fantastic. And I don't know what the future of those holds, but in my world, by gosh, people are flying around in them with crossbows. Yeah, uh, <laughs> fantastic. And, yeah, and then uh, some lighter than air uh rigid body airships so, so that you can kind of have these guys float around in balloons and these guys are in octocopters yeah. and they fly around and um and you know imagine skyscrapers and you know remnants of old skyscrapers and people up in the top with their brilliant. octocopters flying around but yeah yeah it, it sounds brilliant it, it really it does what well, what i'm really interested in drones because i i really would be a rigger in Shadowrun terms, and I yeah. know M Space brought out drones in a in a companion. Do do we have drones? Can we? We do. We do have drones, and so there's, um, you know, you need an engineer to build them. Yeah. There are some little pots. So one of the things I called the the engineers, scientists, and physicians are collectively technologists. Yeah. Right. They're spellcasters, but they're not spells. So they're technologists. And every technologist gets a handheld computer. They start the game with it and they get it as a free specialty in technology. And it is basically our cell phone. Yeah. So imagine a cell phone without cell coverage and you've got a handheld, but also imagine that we've got another 50 years of development on these. So like, I don't even pretend to try and keep track of file size, how much yeah. data do you have? You can cram as much on that thing as you want. Yeah. And the real problem is getting to it and organizing it. But yeah. one of the things to answer the drone question, um, once you build the drone, you control it through your handheld. So oh, anybody yeah. who has, even if I'm not an, elect, uh, an engineer as a player character, my character is not an engineer, he's, he's a fighter. Yeah. But he might, I'm, I could, because technology is a standard skill, I can take informatician, grit, start with the handheld, and then I can use drones. Nice. And they become, in a sense, uh, uh, clairvoyance spells, right? It's yes. what's around the corner. Oh, I, yeah. I, I think there might be danger over there. I'm going to send the drone. Now, there's a certain market value to those things. Yeah. So you don't want to just send them willy-nilly, you know. Yes. Oh, let's let's send them everywhere. Oh, look. Yeah. Those <laughs> people are are shooting them down and I'm losing them. Um but so so there's this balance of when do I send my drone? When do I yeah, I sneak up and look. Um, I I really like that um connection, that analogy back towards the spells as well. You know, yeah. in the sense that it's this is a clairvoyant spell which is basically your surveillance drone going around the corner and having a look. And yeah. I, I I think one of the things that we were chatting about beforehand, and I picked up from the rule system, and you were just hinting at it then when you're saying, you know, that they do cost money, is that it's the scarcity of things in the world. Tell us a bit about that. Well, because it's so, so the mechanics work when there's a scarcity so mm. so in uh rubble and ruin as presented there's no money there's no yeah. one thing that you know and they, they don't all take bottle caps and, yeah uh, but instead 
there's trading. So there's a simple set of mechanics for handling trading and things have trade points, which are based off their utility, not mm. how hard they are to make. So a, uh, an old calculator might, you know, a, a, a cell phone would be very difficult to make, Yeah, but it's only moderately useful. They're worth like 25 trade points. Got you. Um, and so there's a, there's an inherent scarcity in the gameplay where you're trying to find things. And ideally the characters are trying to do something that's the plot of the game and they need to get the stuff to do it. And yeah. so uh, we want to move the village from here to there. We need to get a bus. So we have to find a bus chassis. There are mechanics for how many, uh, you know, units of, of, auto parts do you need to for the mechanical engineer to repair the bus then we now we've got a bus now we need fuel blah 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 now yeah. we, we accomplish the task um and in true rambling style i, I forget if i've answered your question no, you, you, you you have very much so and i think you've also hinted very well to the general feel and the atmosphere of the game. And I, when, when you were saying about getting the parts for the bus, I literally had uh, the imagery of this post-apocalyptic scenario, you know, the, the whole broken buses all over the place and not sort of like a, a really a prestige um setting like or like some of my m space yeah. um campaigns would be so i i really like that i one of the things i found about going into m space and i'm interested what your thoughts about it is that as a new gm if somebody wanted to run this um rubble and ruin is there a lot of setup or can you sort of like introduce things a bit at a time? Um, how do you suggest people who want to run the campaign go about it? So I've tried my best to make it as easy as possible. To that end, I've, I've got a, a little booklet called Chicago Ruins. Yeah. Um, it's available for free as a PDF download on, um, drive through drive through yeah and the the idea here is it sets up a setting and um you know gives every, uh it 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 kind of you know i've got this chicago city you know the us city of chicago in ruins and here are the groups around it and mm. um in the back there's a couple of pages of making characters in this setting yeah, uh, character sheet in there, and that that's and that's for free. So you know, uh, the GM of course going to have to get a copy of the book, the the core books, but at least yeah. all the players don't. And they can have that, and all the uh, the tables. Uh, hopefully, all the tables that are needed are yeah. in the back of that, so everybody has those when you're sitting down to play, um, and uh, then. For the GM, there I wrote a little uh, module into the ruins, um, into the ruins, into, into the rubble. The rubble. So, yeah. sorry, <laughs> um, into the rubble, and that provides two dungeon crawls. Except they're I call them rubble crawls. So yeah. it's you know here's a hole full of 
monster. It's a, the first one, there's a, a partially collapsed in the rubble underneath the L, which is the elevated trains that run through Chicago. Some of the rubble didn't collapse underneath it. And there's some cavities back there. And, you know, a group go, of prospectors go in to explore it. Yeah. And everything's statted out. And it gives you an idea of how to run the classic rubble crawl. And then yeah. there's a second one where it's just here's a piece of of rubbled area that your characters ha- are going to go in and explore. And you could just run those as written. You could uh, certainly move them to, you know, grab the pieces that you like and and run those. Um, I have another piece that I'm working on, which will be uh, the free city of Carbondale, which is uh, a more developed, it's an area that that's not in total rubble. And it's to represent sort of in a fantasy setting where people start in the little kingdom, you know, and everything's yeah. nice here. And then you go out, oh, we need the thing. And we're going to go to get the MacGuffin on a quest. Um, that's uh, almost done. It's in layout. Um, um, so, but, but experienced GMs can mix and match and, you know, take what you like and, you know, oh, it's nice to have some stats for monsters, but I'm doing this over here and away you go. Yeah. And I really do think, I I think that, um, free, I think it is the Chicago ruins thing really is, I think would be, um, it's really nice for players to have that because yeah. like you say, there's, there's so much information in there that they will use um, right there. I think there's some um, equipment, some stats for um, yeah. firearms. And I think there's all yeah. the specials in there that they can use. Yeah. So I, I think it's fantastic that there's that option for them as well. And I, I did, I love adventures and sometimes I just read modules and I must admit, I loved uh, Into the Rubble. And, uh, <laughs> I, I really did. And it took me back to my Advanced Dungeons and Dragons first edition days mm-hmm. with these dungeon adventures if that makes sense yes uh, and, and, uh, yeah go for it and, and that's exactly what it's supposed to do yeah. and what the reason i'm writing the the free city of carbondale is that it occurred to me so i know that when i see one of these old school renaissance you know this is a dungeon crawl but i don't have to do dungeons games yeah I know that I can just, oh, I'll start in a little city over here and we'll have a court intrigue adventure or we'll have some other, you know, kind of adventure. Um, But then I thought, well, I want to make it as easy as possible for people who may not get, you don't have to do a, just as in, uh, you know, in fantasy games, you don't have to do dungeon crawls in rubble and ruin. You don't have to do rubble crawls. I just started there because you know, you have to start somewhere. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's a really good place to start with any new game because it allows the players and the GM to engage with combat, which yeah. I think is always an essential of yeah. any of these games, but also a bit of skills as well. There's, there's some skills mm-hmm. that you can use, and, but also to set that feel of the setting, you know, and I, and I think when I was reading into the rubble, I really got a, a feel of the 
the atmosphere and the setting. And I think that really, I mean, if anybody's thinking about, you know, running this, then I really would recommend that because once you've read it, you get a complete feel of the the rule set and the yeah. setting and how players are going to interact with each other. This is rather new. When was it first published, Rubble and Ruin? Well, the the Mithras version came out just recently, June. I think yeah. it, it went through. I I went back and looked at the beginning of the pandemic. I went back and <clears throat> looked at some writing, gaming writing I had done earlier, and I'm like, well, this isn't bad. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm I'm a, a scientist. I write a lot, but I write very dry things. I'm like, well, this isn't mm. horrible, you know. And then I got thinking, you know, the world needs some more. Um, options to explore science and technology right now. I totally agree. As yeah. the pandemic's yeah. unfolding, and so I'm, I, I've spent my pandemic free time uh, bringing this up and getting the into into a Mithras, a pure Mithras setting, so that then I can get the license and, and publish it. Yeah. So it's only been out a couple of months. Yeah, because um, I, I noticed that the publishing date was 2021. You know, yeah. Well, so yeah. yeah, so this is fresh off the press. Fresh so, off the press. Yeah, so yeah. it'll be fantastic for people to nip along. I think it's all available on drive through, isn't it? Exclusively. Yeah. yeah. So so people can go over there and aftermath is on there as well. But yeah. these, your, I think this. Um, Rubble and Ruin is fantastic, you know, and it's a, a well-produced um, PDF as well. Uh, I was really impressed with the the maps. Did you say that you've done some map so, creation? So I do, yeah, so in the intervening, uh, you know, somehow I started back in the basic role-playing days, BRP, yeah they would do these adventure contests and, and they weren't really contests. It's just, you know, write some adventures for BRP and we'll publish them. And, yeah. and I would do those and that was fun. And I started doing maps and I've always really loved fantasy cartography. Yeah. And, and so anyway, long story, slightly less long, I got into doing maps for publications. And so I've done things for 60 stone. I did, where is that? Um, for the a lot of Call of Cthulhu stuff, um, Fantastic. the Dare was just came out recently by Kevin Ross. Did the Dare for oh, it's published with Chaosium, yeah. um, and you know I did the maps there, and I, I uh, for uh, a bunch of other people, you know, sort of small press stuff. I I would do the maps. I was getting decent. I have a very kind of old school style. Yeah. It's very and, nice. Well, thank you. Um, it, it, and so, so what I, and I tend to think and work in maps. Yeah. So when I'm gaming, oh, forever, when I run a game, I like to run sandbox games. So there's less of a, in my story, there's always some narrative that's coming out, but it's, it's, here's a map, here are the factions, and I know what's happening, you don't. And yes. you, as the players, interact with this evolving world. And that's the kind of play that I like to run. You can do that in Rubble and Ruin. You can also do any other yeah, you know, any other style. Um, but I've always had these maps. So um, 
I'm glad you enjoyed the maps. Yeah, and it's something I have yet to find my niche in. I I love GMing. I, I really do that acting and everything, but I'm absolutely hopeless at producing anything creative you know so <laughs> i'm more than happy to let somebody else make the maps and just give them to me <laughs> and, and, and i am not offended if you download <laughs> uh chicago ruins grab the maps and go play yeah. some other game on <laughs> yeah i i don't you know, I, I mean, I, I, it, to be honest with you rich i thought for a, a free product because it I'm right in saying that, aren't I? Chicago ruins. It, the PDF is free. I yeah. have to charge for the the printed book because they charge me. Yeah. I think I make thirty five cents on a printed but book. The, the quality of those maps are brilliant. I, I have Thank to you. say, I was very very impressed by them. So, so what's what's in the pipeline for Rubble and Ruin? Um, the the one thing I'm working on now is I mentioned uh, the Carbondale. Carbondale is a university town in downstate Illinois. So Chicago is about uh, 300 miles, 400 odd kilometers north of Carbondale mm. and in, in, in the real world. And it's a kind of a fascinating little place. And in the canonical rubble and ruin, it was spared the worst of the global wars. And so there's still some little city states down there. Nice. And they're all uh, in conflict. And these, these city states kind of tie into larger movements off to the east and west and south. And, and this little town, Carbondale, I kind of think of it as uh, Casablanca from the movie Casablanca, <laughs> yeah. where it's, you know, the Nazis are coming, but they're not here. And it's, yeah. you know, kind of in it's in this balance between all these different forces and it makes a nice uh, setting to drop in another play style where it's not um, rubble crawls, but rather fantastic intrigue and things like that. That, That's absolutely brilliant. When's that due to be out? Do you know? Uh, I, yeah, soon, soon, Soon. very soon. Top people are on this top people. So (laughs) all of rubble and ruin is just my own, you know, it, it, it's me. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have, I have some, some help with like proofreading and a lot of canned art, you know, uh, yeah. some very fine um, stock art that, uh, but um, so it, I've got, it's mostly written. Uh, all the maps are done. The maps are for me, as you, you've noticed, that's the, where I start. I've got, yeah. I'm very happy with the, the maps because I'm going to just do it as a PDF. It's color maps. Um, so those are all done layout. So, you know, look for it in 2021. Yeah. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. Well, well, thank you so much for coming along and talking on the podcast. I really do appreciate giving you giving the time to come and share this fantastic supplement or this well it's it's really a rule set in itself which you know is based on that mithras imperative which is fantastic so thank you so much and i for one i am definitely going to try to run a rubble and ruin (laughs) campaign sometime i tell you well i thank you very much for the opportunity of course it's been a thrill for me and uh, look forward to uh talking to you in the future.
learned so much during the chat and I was so intrigued about how much of Rich's knowledge and understanding of genes and mutations had informed the creation of the game. As mentioned, all the publications are available on the drive through website for purchase and download. I'm definitely looking for an opportunity to engage with this in the future, maybe within the M Space campaign. The party will arrive at a rubble and ruin base planet. That would be so cool, although they do need to get a starship first. Thanks to Rich for coming onto the podcast and talking about his products. I was completely inspired to produce a Rubble and Ruins campaign, and I hope you were too. And that's it. Another episode of Mithras Matters completed. Don't forget you can check out all my content by following my YouTube channel and the campaign areas on World Anvil. I really appreciate your support and do check out the Tapper Talk forums. There are some great people there sharing their ideas within the discussions. So until next time, have a great month of gaming and I will chat to you all again in October. Until then, I hope that all your opposed roles succeed and provide you with a well-deserved special. Thanks for listening, everyone. See ya. Bye. The content of this podcast is covered by the Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. So please give appropriate credit if you are sharing or copying any part of this podcast. Thank you.